Umbrella's Audio Land has dropped their final names to join the full program, and these are sessions that cannot be missed. In just three weeks' time, you will be able to immerse yourself in the forefront of audio insights delivered by the brightest minds in the space. Do not miss out on this one-day conference for a comprehensive view of the industry. Book your tickets at umbrella.com.au forward slash audioland. Spend in Australia continues to drop according to SMI figures. Tabcorp's CEO tells the inquiry into online gambling the wagering industry has reached a critical line in the sand moment. And private media's proposition for a fourth update to its defence in the Lachlan Murdoch defamation case has left the judge unimpressed. All that before an update on where Meta has been redirecting its focus after the much-hyped launch of the Metaverse, with its agency director for Australia and New Zealand, Carolyn Balacci, and group industry director, Naomi Shepard, joining the podcast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jaspin, and joining me for the news chat today is editorial director Damien Francis. Bit of a evening mumbo vibe in here today with just us two, right, Davo? It's cozy. I like it. I was trying to think of new names for you this week, and I've come up with Crispy Jam Face. I think mm, that's what we're going to roll nah, with. No, I'm not. No, I'm not sure no? about that one. Okay. <laughs> Okay, but it's good. It's good to be on just with you, Callum. It's nice. I enjoy you're it. Really, you're really pushing the boat out with these names, which is fine. It's going to get worse uh, and worse. We, we should preferred, warn people about that. I preferred when you just used to refer to me as uh, Melbourne Bureau Chief. That was that was a lot better. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fair. Okay, we'll <laughs> go back to that. Melbourne Bureau Chief, done, locked in. Demo, into our first topic. Australia's ad spenders continued on a downward trajectory into February with the latest Standard Media Index figures posting a decline of 8.6% to $544.4 million off the back of a 10% year-on-year drop in January. The decline has largely been attributed to the normalization of government spending, which saw extraordinary highs in early 2022 due to COVID and election-related ad spend. This is expected to continue into March, which also reported a record high in 2022. Demo, numbers are down quite heavily across the board, aside from the outdoor sector, which was the only category uh, or media type, I should say, which saw growth. I get the feeling SMI sort of tried to temper the market here by saying government spending last year um, due to the election campaign, but that was, uh, well, I guess in February, the official cycle hadn't even begun yet. Uh, What's happening, do you think? Yeah, look, you know, the SMI is dealing with the the facts and the figures here, really, from the agencies that are reporting spend. So, you know, look, you can only, uh, I guess, PR it so much. At the end of the day, what they're essentially saying is, as you sort of mentioned, government spend was significant last year in February. That hasn't uh, returned, as you'd expect. We're not in an election year. Uh, for whatever that's worth. Also, the Beijing Winter Olympics uh, last year, so that uh, was a contributor to a significant amount of spend. Uh, They were saying that when you take out that government spend, the decline is actually 5.5% year on year, uh, and the note that also January suffered uh, a 10% uh, year on year decline as well. Now, 
Look, Jane Ratcliffe is the managing director of SMI for Australia and New Zealand. Uh, she suggested that the trend uh, will continue downwards until around May. Uh, extra COVID-related ad spend uh, was amplified ahead of the federal election, and, and that was in that sort of space uh, year on year. Uh, you know, look, we also know we're in relatively tough economic circumstances uh, as well. But uh, there were sort of good, um, good bits of news as well. Uh, the three highest categories have increased their spend. So that was retail up 6.6%, auto brands up 16.9%. And I think we all know that uh, automotive uh, manufacturers in particular have been doing quite well uh, during and, and out the back of COVID as well. But the insurance sector also uh, up 7%. So look, probably not a huge surprise to see it down again year on year. And if the SMI is anything to go by, we should expect similar sort of results moving forward for at least a little bit. And I, I, I should say, I, uh, I I missed out cinema spend, which has actually gone up uh, this year, as you'd probably expect. Footfall well, everyone, to cinemas yeah. are, is going to be rising as uh, COVID normalizes. Happy and to sit in confined spaces now. <laughs> Look, I also think it's interesting and important to note, Cal, that uh, the in the payment update from Tuesday, actually, uh, there was a note that said any reduction in ad spend uh, will also help change the market into a buyer's market, which could be interesting as we move on through the year, noting that you know it, it's always in a marketer's best interest generally to spend when the, the market's a bit low. So this might actually help that. Uh, and another one of those green shoots there as well is the fact that half of the top 10 categories uh, did record spend increases as well. And you mentioned there the auto sector demo. We've got um, uh, what what's I guess being called 2023's edition of Picture Palooza. We've got BMW and um, Mitsubishi, two of the biggest car brands, uh, currently pitching their their media accounts as well. Um, obviously, the economy is contributing to that. Some are saying there's a lot out to market, trying to get better deals before the end of financial year. But we are going to write about that. Um, later this week. So keep an eye out. Moving on to our second topic, the calls for greater wagering ad regulation have found a somewhat surprising backer in Tabcorp CEO Adam Wrightenskild, who yesterday gave his full support into the ongoing inquiry into online gambling. Addressing the Standing Committee on Social and Legal Policy, he said the proliferation of online gambling has gone too far and was not good for the broader Australian community nor the long-term sustainability of the wagering industry. This is a bit of a follow-up from our discussion last week, demo where we spoke about how Aussies felt in regards to wagering ads. But yesterday we uh, we heard from several figures in the industry. Um, as I mentioned there, Tabcorp CEO said there had been a critical line in the sand moment, uh, stating that the company supports the inquiry, supports a blanket ban on ads between 6.30am to 8.30pm, and if there isn't an agreement reached, would voluntarily pull its ads. Now, this is pretty significant because Tabcorp is the second biggest spender in a category which has grown its annual spend to around 
$300 million annually, uh, growing from a, around a $80 million or so mark in 2011. Um, figures from SMI, they're getting heavy usage in today's podcast, um, suggest that $179 million of the $287 million spent in 2021 was directed towards television with $54 million on the digital platform. So significant uh, implications there for the TV uh, networks should some stronger regulation be pulled in. Now, Wright and Skill also mentioned that over the past five plus years, the sector has been disrupted by mostly foreign-owned online bookmakers who operate nationally but are only licensed with low tax and light regulation in the Northern Territory, calling for consistent regulation as a matter of urgency. I don't know if maybe I'm being a skeptic here, Damo, but it, it seems like maybe Tabcorp, which is one of the more established players, in this market might believe that uh, stronger regulation across the board might actually suit Tabcorp. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> oh, you skeptic, you bloody skeptic. Uh, <laughs> look, let's not uh, let's not doubt that there's a good PR game to be played here by the betting and wagering businesses and that we know the facts. Uh, there is big a big push by consumers to see a, a lessening of uh, betting and wagering advertising, as well as we've seen now uh, relatively well-known and highly influential people in sports, for example, like Gillian McLaughlin, suggesting that perhaps we have seen too much of this. So I think they can see that the writing is on the wall and it would be good for them to get in front of this and uh, be friendly with consumers uh, as well. Um, but look, it's uh, it's certainly an interesting case which will keep going. What do you think, Cal? Well, it, it's funny you mention McLaughlin because he and uh, the AFL's CEO, Gil McLaughlin, and NRL's chief executive, Andrew Abdo, also appeared yesterday in front of the, the committee. Um, but Abdo made the point that sports betting only makes up 4% of the gambling industry, arguing that it's just one piece um, of, of the pie. But I sort of felt like maybe McLaughlin's initial comments, which he made a few weeks ago um, on 3AW, weren't quite as reflected in in their appearance yesterday. He did um, acknowledge uh, that the, the league has a community responsibility and acknowledges the fans' uh, concerns, but they both argued that wider regulation would harm grassroots sports um, should you know, revenue be cut thanks to thanks to harder, harsher regulations or over-regulation, I think was the term he used. Um, I'm cognizant this is an issue, Abdo said, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that the overarching majority of fans do not see this as a major issue. Those comments there were a little bit confusing after it did come following the discussion we had last week, Damo, which said that 69% of Australians believe that gambling advertising is too common, while 60% believe it makes sport less family friendly, and 46% said it decreases their enjoyment of sport. Now, it's important to remember both those leagues have major partnerships with Sportsbet and it also emerged yesterday that um, the AFL receives a share of betting of, of the betting outlay on each of its matches with uh, some of that integrated uh, coverage. I think what's important here to think about as well is, look, we've seen this before when it's come to regulation of other areas, whether that's alcohol or tobacco or whatnot, in terms of 
the, the spend that betting and wagering businesses have in their marketing budget will still remain high. It's not going to just be cut because of this. They will find other ways of spending it, likely with the same people that they're spending it with now. They'll just do it within new regulations. Uh, so I don't think anyone stands to lose huge, huge amounts of money or we'll just suddenly see uh, a, a hole in the floor open up. Uh, we'll just find that they'll look to different ways to, to spend their money. And also, I think you've got to consider the fact that, you know, a lot of the people that we're talking about here, that the victims, if you will, of uh, you know, betting and wagering, it's not in the best interest of these companies to have a, an effect like that. You want repeat customers, don't you, at the end of the day, if there's a way that they can work uh, within regulations uh, to keep people coming back and using them in a safe manner, uh, then that's surely what they will be for. It's just whether that's actually a possibility or not. And ultimately, you know, the, the majority of the games that both uh, codes have on free-to-end networks with 7 and 9, um, the majority of each of those games do actually air after that 8.30 um, mark. But, Damo, let's quickly move on to our last Topic, the defamation proceedings between Lachlan Murdoch and crikey owner Private Media are continuing to hear up this week as a hearing of the case saw the publisher attempt to connect its defense to the ongoing lawsuit against Fox News in the US. The case's Judge Justice Michael Wigney has said he's considering sending both parties back to mediation, commenting that the case seemed to be driven more by ego and hubris and ideology than anything else. Ego, hubris, and ideology, and media, Cal. Who would have thunk it? Never before. <laughs> but uh, you've been following this story quite heavily. For those who haven't actually caught up or, or understand the significance of this, give us the details of the latest, Cal. Well, look, uh, why don't I do this all in one demo? Um, th- essentially, for those that aren't familiar with the case, Murdoch, son of Rupert, who's also chief executive of Fox Corp and uh, I, th- I believe co-chairman of um, News Corp, is suing private media and senior figures at the company in the federal court over an article last year linking the media empire or conglomerate to the 2021 US Capitol insurrections. Now, this came after an article written by its uh, Crikey's political editor, Bernard Keane. Um, he claims defamed him uh, in referring to the Murdochs and Fox News as unindicted co-conspirators in the January 6th riots. The article was later taken down by Murdoch, um, but then it was republished when Crikey publicly challenged him to sue. The company maintains the story is not defamatory and that its comments were made in public interest. Now, this obviously also comes, Damo, as Crikey uh, appointed a new editor-in-chief this week, Sophie Black, replacing Peter Frey, who was, uh, the company said, made redundant after he was placed on leave after his outburst at the Walkley Awards last year. Now, update, the reason we're talking about this today, it's the fourth time that uh, private media has sought, sought to update its defense in the case that seems to be rolling on and on. It's looking to connect the the uh, the lawsuit, which I mentioned at the top there, in which Fox News is being sued for $1.6 billion US dollars by Dominion Voting Systems, um, where Fox News' claims about Dominion uh, basically 
alleged voter fraud influencing the result of the 2020 presidential election in which uh, Joe Biden got in over uh, everyone's favorite person at the moment, Donald Trump. Private media's defense attorney, Michael Hodge, King's Council, I was about to say Queen's Council there, but it's King's Council now, told the court that those materials went to the heart of Lachlan Murdoch's reputation, including internal correspondence with the Murdoch family and with Fox News execs. Uh, if you haven't heard about that case in particular, I'd recommend you go and catch up on it. It's pretty pretty interesting. Um, but locally, it's already been pushed back a few times since Murdoch threw private media's chairman Eric Beecher and CEO Will Hayward into the case as well. So it could be pushed back to October now, Demo. But uh, yeah, pretty interesting. And as you say, hubris, ego, are these things unfamiliar to uh, to what people might suspect? So, I don't know. <laughs> sounds like the bubble around your desk in Melbourne, mate. <laughs> never. Never at Mumbrella. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move along now because coming up after the break, we have Meta's Carolyn Balacci and Naomi Shepard join the podcast. <laughs> Carolyn Balaji, Agency Director for Australia and New Zealand at Meta, and Naomi Shepard, Group Industry Director at Meta. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. We're excited to be here. I actually heard you were in Vegas recently. I was. I was. It was um it was a pretty whirlwind week, but it was yeah, it was good fun. It was good fun. Uh you know, the the Adobe people certainly know how to put on a show and a party. I don't know if you've ever been out there for it. You have? Yeah. Not for that, but I have been <laughs> yeah. never had the pleasure. Never had the pleasure. Well, I'm not gonna be rushing back, um, but you know, each to their own. <laughs> Do you have any luck? Uh well, I don't know. You you might have heard us talking about it on the podcast where um I didn't. Um, but you know, I don't, I think that's probably a good thing, isn't it? That, yeah. What uh, did I say? You win some, you lose more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's the new, that's the new tagline, isn't it? It is. Uh, yeah. Which we, yeah. We, we, we actually discussed last week. On, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so on to the reason that we're here, which is to talk about Meta, not to talk about Adobe. Um, it, it's been an interesting few years for for meta and i guess more generally for for big tech the company's share price peaked in 2021 in september and two months later the company renamed the parent company meta which sort of happened to be at a time when it was looking to bring the metaverse to the fore of the company's plans all tech stocks took a major hit in the 12 12 or so months that followed um capped by some job cuts across the board however in the past few months Meta has led the charge in a recovery of sorts with the share price, uh, as I heard this morning, up 75% in just Q1 of this calendar year. Naomi, why don't we start with you? Do you, do you think we're sort of over that hill now? And as I guess, is that sort of correction in, done in a sense in terms of staffing and I guess everything else that comes with that? Um, I mean, I think one thing that we tend not to do is is just run the company solely on the share price. And so, yes, I think there have been some significant gains, in that, particularly in the last quarter. Um, I, I know every person that works in my team and, um, and all of the people that work in the global business group worldwide at Meta are focused um, almost solely on one metric, which is are we seeing our customers' business 
grow and are we providing them growth that lasts today and and tomorrow and every day into the future and so um, what we've got a, a close eye on is just the performance of the platforms for our advertisers and in in that realm yes we are seeing that the platforms are super healthy I was trying to think of a way to like professionally say this but they're on fire <laughs> and um, it's that the platforms are on fire um, and what we're really seeing is just that user growth continues and it's continuing here in Australia I think in um, our last bunch of steps we're in um, January of this year and we've, we've seen the all of our family of apps user growth grow about eight percent year over year which in a in a pretty highly penetrated like uh, market like Australia is 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 really healthy user growth is at the highest we've ever seen it um, our media cost is is down and our conversions are up and so we're starting to see um, a lot of our advertisers come to us and say, you know, our return on ad spend is is at, at the best it's ever been. So that's something that we tend to always have our eye on is just is the is the community growing? Is it still a core and, you know, essential part of their daily lives? And, and that seems to be the case with, you know, 18 million people on just the Facebook Blue app alone. Mm-hmm. And, and a good measure of that is are they coming back daily? And about 15 million of them are coming back every single day. Um, and like I said, in, engagement is an all-time high. And so those things combined are, are sort of generating some pretty significant returns for our advertisers. Um, and that's been that's been quite hard. And I think what you're seeing and what you're referencing in the share price, Callum, is is some of the challenges that we've been working through over the last couple of years with, you know, a lot of the changes with Apple and ATT. And um, and we're really, you know, thankfully seeing the, the platforms um, at an at an all time high and and really generating great growth for customers. So that that's what we're focused on and and super excited to see it. And look, bumping the share price, it's never a bad thing, is it? <laughs> it's never a bad thing. And look, you've touched on a few things that we will get to over the course of the the chat today. Um, but b- before then, I guess it's always interesting when you do have. Um, some of these sort of blog posts, an example a few weeks ago from Mark Zuckerberg, in which he did sort of indicate, uh, similarly to, you know, we were talking about Adobe before, that AI is going to be um, a big focus for in terms of investment from the company in, the, I guess, the, the, the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we did mention at the top there, um, Naomi, is there is there any, I guess... Is there any focus at all? I know you mentioned it slightly, but what's sort of the nature of the investment in the in the metaverse now? Could you sort of tell us a little bit how the brand is approaching that and whether or not that is, I guess, how central is that moving forward? Yeah, in the metaverse, did you say yeah. specifically? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, one thing we can touch on is just, um, and you mentioned it right up front, Callum, which was, you know, changing our name to meta and, and sort of what that represented more broadly, which is we're about more than just the Facebook Blue app um, and and sort of social media. So Meta was really um, giving us a clear position in terms of where we were going as a company, so over the sort of next three, five, ten years. Um, and the Metaverse is still, we continue to invest in it um, and, and definitely have, you know, teams working on that. In, in terms of how that plays out locally for us here, a lot of our time is spent talking about the things that you can do today to bridge to the metaverse. So things like augmented reality and virtual reality, um, some of the WebXR experiences that we can create for advertisers. So there's still quite a bit going on. I would say that the majority of the investment from Meta 
um, more recently has been in AI and artificial intelligence. And we can, you know, sort of definitely deep dive into what that's doing for people on the platform as well as advertisers. But, you know, AI, I think if you if you look up any news article um, about Meta at the moment, there's a there's a heavy reference to our investment in artificial intelligence. And, and that for me has been the most exciting thing to talk to our agencies about, talk to our customers about, because that's what's driving some of those returns that I was mm-hmm. talking to you about, you know, right at the start of the podcast. So it's definitely having a moment. I was thinking like, if AI were a character in a 1990s rom-com, it'd be the girl at the back of the classroom with her hair in a bun and her glasses on and no one's <laughs> noticing her. And then she, like, takes her hair out and everyone's and like, everyone oh, looks, yeah. <laughs> Where were you hiding? It's, it's always been there. It's <laughs> just there the whole time. Yeah. But it's like, we've, been you know, the whole time. we've been investing in AI for years and, and it's why my news feed looks different to your news feed. That's artificial intelligence and, and so we're just now diverting a lot of the time and energy that we were spending on the consumer product in the last two years has been spent on the advertiser product and the business tools and, and you know we can we can get into a little bit of that today on the podcast as well. Carolyn, what, what was, the, I guess, since that, um, I mean, obviously, you know, as we mentioned there, it was such a big focus. And I think maybe we focused on it a lot because, the, you know, there was this number around the investment that Meta was making and also the name change. In terms of your interactions with a agency partners and, and clients, what how did you sort of, um, I guess, navigate the interest in the metaverse and, I guess, explaining what the services were and what you were actually offering in return? Yeah, um, great question. So similar to what Naomi was saying, it came out, there was a huge amount of interest. We changed our name, you know, like it, it, we really came out strong with what this was going to be and the future of what it could promise. But we were pretty open with the fact that it's a very long-term play in terms of, you know, it's not here today or it's not here tomorrow. But what we have been doing is building out this metaverse readiness model, especially with the agencies and making sure that not only do they understand what they need to do now to set their businesses up for tomorrow, but also what kind of people they might need to hire, what kind of skill sets they need to have within the agency, and really start to be, think about the outcomes that they want to have in that more metaverse AI type future that we might be in, and then work backwards from that and mm-hmm. start to build that bridge. Um, so those are the discussions that we're having. We started to have last year and we'll continue to have this year and beyond, as agencies really retool themselves to get ready for what the metaverse could be and how their clients will start to build within that. Mm. Do you think that's maybe, I mean, you know, this is just off the top of my head based on what you're saying there. Do you think there's maybe a challenge with changing your name? It sort of indicates to the market that you're, you you know, you're right there. And then when you, you kind of have to say, well, you know, this is more emphasizing where we're going. Is, is there is there challenges with that? Um, I think it's probably important to look at everything that we've done as Meta in the last year is that, you know, clearly there's strength in the platforms like Facebook and Instagram, which have been around for many, many years and Messenger and WhatsApp. Um, but, you know, at the end of last year, we shipped MetaQuest Pro and which was a, you know, mixed reality headset that we're seeing, you know, more um, exploration in virtual reality and, and augmented reality than we've probably ever seen before. There's about 200 apps and growing on our VR devices. It's made more than a million dollars in revenue, so it still exists. Um, and it and as as you know, we both Carol and I have mentioned, it continues to be invested in and, and is still you know a, a core part of the focus for the um, for Meta as a company. And look, Naomi, you, you mentioned this before, but um, I guess during this last uh, 
12 to 18 months or so, which is, um, I think it would be fair to say, been tough on the pockets of consumers as we see uh, inflation rise, uh, interest rates rise. Um, but in, in our industry in particular, it's it's been hard for marketers to manage the cost of buying media space itself, which has also risen. According to um, Walk figures, the cost of buying a TV media rose nearly 35% in 2022, um, the most of any channel listed. However, um, you guys, Meta, um, are, are saying that the, the average price of an ad with the company has actually dropped by 16% year on year with in Q4, that number dropping to 22% mm. um, alone. Carolyn, maybe c- can you tell us a little bit what is causing this, how it's measured and, and why it actually is going the other way to, to the, the, the wider trends? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, it's, you know, what we're hearing from customers in a market where media cost inf- inflation is soaring in other channels, is that um, we're seeing Meta's performance um, from a cost per ad perspective decrease, and the return is increasing, which is great. So this is in conjunction with our audience engagement continuing to grow. So a lot of you know perfect storm factors are coming into making sure that we're driving as much efficiency within the media that's being bought through our family of apps for our advertisers, which is fantastic. It's a top priority for our business. It's top priority for agencies on behalf of their clients during a time when we need to really push as much efficiency through the media channels as we can, Um, especially ones that are responsible for TV buying and reporting. So we're chatting a lot to them as well, Um, but becoming a big industry challenge. So we're glad that we can come to the table, help with this, consult on this and work with them. And we're helping build these reports in conjunction with the agencies to show um, the efficiencies that we're having. So like you said, we've seen, um, you know, globally through different types of reports, like through work and other types of reporting, that TV media costs have increased by about 35% in Australia over 2022. So pretty high. And, you know, there's a perception in market, or there has been in the past, that digital marketing, Meta and Google included, um, we're also party to driving this inflation. So we really dug deep and we wanted to get under the hood of it because we, we didn't believe it was happening and we could see all the advancements that we were making from a product perspective. Um, and exactly the numbers that you were quoting, we were seeing you know upwards of 16% plus um, in terms of efficiencies around CPM, in terms of you know ROI going up, which is great. Um, and in, at the same time, we're seeing engagement across our family of apps growing. So, you know, Australia has grown 8% year on year, and we have more than 18 million monthlies on Facebook um, and 50 million every day. So it's kind of all these really amazing factors coming into play that's showing that we are hoping to provide growth that lasts to agencies and be the best dollar that they spend. And it's interesting, you kind of speak about this in the context that the, the, um, in the second half of last year, speaking to some of the big TV networks in terms of, you know, we have the, the launch of the Netflixes and binge the last week with their ad services and Disney and the com, the conversation kind of centered around, you know, where, is that slice of ad dollar coming from? Is it coming from the likes of, of Google? Um, I, I mean, you speak about this in, in reference of the, the rising cost of TV. Do you feel like there's still competition there for dollars or is it not a, a like for like, uh, you know, when referencing these numbers? Um, I think it's, you know, we don't try to compare ourselves to anybody. I think what we try to do is work with the agencies to make sure that, given what their outcomes are meant to be, that we're driving 
the best performance that we possibly can across our channels. So um, yeah, we don't necessarily come out and say, we're better than this channel for this reason. <laughs> some do, some do. So, you know, you never know. Yeah. I think, I mean, we heard pretty loud and clear from, from our customers and from agencies is that they're just, they're just not interested. We don't care if you're better than this one or they're better than you or whatever. Just, you know, help us drive an outcome that solves a, a key challenge that we're focused yeah. on. So, you know, coming back to like what is your objective and how do we help you solve for that and, and what role do we play? versus how much better are we than anyone else or, or they than us. Yeah. I, just, I think that's really unhelpful for, for, our, for our customers and agencies. We've heard that pretty loud and clear over the last few years. Okay, so one of the, the bigger announcements to come um, out of Meta recently was on, on Friday, um, you announced your new brand safety and suitability controls. Um, Maybe, Naomi, if you want to start a little bit about explaining, I guess, what, what the necessity was from this from your from your customers, um, the work that was done to, to then develop it and then, I guess, implementing it in, in, I guess, in reality as well. Yeah. So, so that was, yeah, you're right. Last week on Friday, we announced it or sort of midnight our time is that we've started to roll these out in um, 30 English speaking and I think Spanish speaking markets around the world. Um, and they are brand suitability controls and they're on both Facebook and Instagram feeds. And that's something that we'll be um, rolling out relatively quickly to all of our advertisers across Australia and also in New Zealand. Um, we've, the, the, where it started was um, around the Black Lives Matter boycotts um, that happened in June of 2020. And we aligned with a brand suitability um, framework that uh, GARM, the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, had set up, um, which we've worked within that framework to develop a, a sort of a set of brand suitability tools that sit across, um, really define high, medium and low risk content. Um, and so advertisers can now choose from three settings in terms of where their advertising sits alongside other content in the newsfeed. And that's not something that you'd previously been able to do. Now, what we've always had in place is um, community standards that are enforced across all of our platforms. And we have monetization principles, which again are, are across all of our platforms. What this allows is an advertiser an extra level of scrutiny about where they're um, content is placed alongside. And then the other announcement is um, that we've partnered with a third party, Zephyr, to be able to provide um, third party verification to once you've run that campaign that you can actually go back in and, and check that Meta's essentially done what it said it would do um, and that you can get that third party verification on mm -hmm. your campaign delivery um, to check it. But, you know, Carolyn and her team hit the phones to all of our agencies last week and we just we had really, really positive um, feedback and response to it. Yeah, I might just jump in. It's mm -hmm. just been, I think, with everything that's going on and, you know, the, the industry is changing so quickly. It was really just so well received when we were speaking to agencies last week just about these ongoing changes. We'll continue to develop and bring out more changes like this as well. We're hyper-focused on collaborating with the industry partners around this. We wanna make sure that the, we're meeting the needs of the advertisers, especially around safety and brand suitability. Um, and everyone I spoke to last week was super grateful to get the call and really just glad that we're taking this seriously and we're bringing new options to market around 
mm. things that will keep advertisers safe and feel like they're this again, you know, we're not only focused on growth that lasts, but being a trusted partner to our advertisers and our agencies. Yeah, and of course, I mean, it's been a big focus uh, in the last, you know, six so months, of course, on something like Twitter, where, you know, those discussions about brand safety really did come into focus. But Karen, could you give us maybe a few a few examples of what, what we're talking about here? And I guess, how do you actually differentiate between, you know, some of that content, which does push a little far, and then... I guess, where that line is drawn between what actually breaches the community guidelines as well. Absolutely. I mean, even though Naomi and I are in advertising, a huge part of our role is around making sure that we're communicating to the industry everything around our ongoing commitment to the safety of users on our platform, particularly around young people. You know, we have more than 30 tools at the moment to support things like the safety of teens and families across our apps, including supervision tools for parents, um, defaulting young people's accounts to private. It, it goes on and on in terms of the things that we're bringing to market. Um, you know, we're only in April and this year alone, we've introduced really some significant new safety and transparency tools, including things like Why Am I Seeing This, which is a tool that provides transparency about how your online activity informs the machine learning we use to deliver ads around quiet mode on Instagram. So make sure to help people focus and encourage people to set boundaries with their usage, with their friends and their followers. Instagram age verification, which is really important given that we know, you know, we don't want to make it available to people under age. And we've partnered with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children for Take It Down to help young people prevent the unwanted spread of intimate images online. And that's just this year. So, you know, we're, we're doing so much and we're constantly communicating this to the market to make sure that they're up to speed on what we're doing, to make sure that we're differentiating and standing out in terms of trust and safety. And and now look, uh, we we speak about sort of consultation with um with your clients as well, which uh, is something obviously that Meta takes incredibly seriously. And you know, you mentioned it at the top there, Naomi. Um, Apple introducing its app tracking transparency, which was I, I believe about two years. Yeah, we're in April now. Wow, mm-hmm. um, two years ago, 2021. Um, there were there were many concerns at the time with um Google even indicating that it thought that it was um these new measures were harming the advertising industry. Um, what has Meta been doing since then to, to face up to some of these challenges and worries that were shared by many marketers? And, and I guess, Naomi, why don't we start with you here? What have you done to actually improve that advertising performance in the meantime? Yeah, um, and they were, th- I mean, the changes were wide reaching, right? This is something that didn't just affect Meta and Meta's technologies, but, you know, the entire digital ads ecosystem and all of the advertisers and small businesses that is that <laughs> is that Riley <laughs> total honesty moment in the podcast sorry <laughs> forgot to introduce our fourth member in the conversation <laughs> um shut up Riley shut up um, Riley <laughs> <laughs> she has something to say about this yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it was a, it was a pretty painful time but um yeah look I mean it's it, it affected a lot of the advertising it, it was the number one topic of conversation for a good period of time um when the when the changes first started rolling out so um look we've been doing a bunch and a lot of it has to do with AI and our investment in AI which I mentioned you know pr- pretty close up front um, and by the way, AI has powered a lot of those brand suitability controls as well. So it's kind of at the yeah. centre of everything that we're doing. Um, 
what did we do? We've like really invested in that foundational infrastructure and AI technology. And a lot of what that has done is to just improve the efficiency and the performance of our, what we call our ads ranking system. So that's been like numero uno, um, the way that we've sort of been addressing some of those changes and challenges. The second one is just improving our AI modelling um, so that we can actually pr- improve performance of advertising where maybe we don't actually have access to all of the data. So that modelling is actually helping to improve um, advertiser performance as well. Um, we've built a number of AI-powered um advertising products and tools and probably most notably has been our advantage suite of products Um, and kind of the jewel in the crown of the last quarter of last year was advantage shopping campaigns which Carolyn can give you a whole bunch of (laughs) we've got so many amazing case studies that have come out of that there's something that just rolled out at the end of last year by the way the what like the sort of widespread adoption of that has been um pretty staggering and then we've just been using AI to actually improve the performance of actual ad formats so you know thinking about how we can complete a whole customer journey um, and the picture of that across all of Meta's technologies Um, and then I think probably what starts at the centre of all of that is our responsible AI team who are basically have been created and have been around for some time to just think about all of the practices of AI and how it's going into supporting these ad tools in a, you know, in a, in a collaborative way. So um, AI, it's the answer to everything. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> like it. Karen, I mean, I, 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 it's kind of an interesting point though. I mean, it's at the centre of everything that you're doing now. Are, are you, is it all positive? You, has there been, I guess, in your interactions, has anyone sort of had any sort of hesitance, hesitancy to how central AI is becoming to everything that you do? I mean, like everything, you have to educate, you know. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you need to bring everyone along the journey because it is it is a very big term that's used an awful lot at the moment. So it's hard to understand what it means in all scenarios, you know. Even I was listening to your podcast the other day, and you know, every company it feels like, especially mm-hmm. the technology ones, but not only the technology ones, have some sort of development in AI, you know. And overall, so yes, generally positive, and um, want to know more, but it di- means different things to different people, so it does require some explanation. And you know, like Naomi said, fundamentally AI is helping us do two things as it relates to advertising: so improve ad relevance relevance and automate the experience for advertisers, which is great. So we want to make sure that we're driving better results, saving time, and then also helping advertisers learn more about what works best so they can make better decisions with their ad budgets. So really just, again, trying to help, you know, create growth that lasts. Every dollar spent is a dollar well spent and um, getting better. So that's the beauty of AI. It gets better the more it learns. So, you know, in in Australia, we're seeing a huge uptake of our AI suite of products like Advantage Shopping that Naomi mentioned, customers like Luxury Escapes, High Smile, a bunch of e-commerce clients are jumping on board with this product and seeing some amazing results. So mm-hmm. we're really optimistic that the more uptake this gets and you know, just the better advertising will work. And it already is working pretty well. So we think um, you know, I'm not gonna run off a jargon of percentages to you because you've heard a bunch of them already, but um, AI in most ads is driving down conversion price. So like yeah. that's a pretty significant change for advertisers, especially commerce-based advertisers. Um, and 
in all key areas like CPC and cost to acquire. So like, we're just really seeing great results across the board. But you know, we do realize that there always needs to be some sort of value exchange between what the advertiser has to offer, offer and what the consumer wants to see. So that's first and foremost as well. It's doing yeah. stuff that like we kind of, you know, if you're thinking about it two years ago, you'd be like, what would a product look like if it could just like combine my existing audience with like new audiences and just like mush them together in one campaign and like get out of learning phase faster and it's like it does that you know what if it could just like take the best performing creatives and show those but only show them to really high value shoppers who are way more likely to take an action like it does that so it's all of these things that you know it's generative it's learning more and more as it goes along and it's putting AI into an advertiser tool that's actually working brilliantly for advertisers. And, you know, as I mentioned, it's like the uptake we've seen on this, particularly in Australia, particularly on e-commerce companies, has just been staggering. It's widespread, rolled out 100% to advertisers. It's definitely one of the fastest, you know, advertising suites I've seen rolled out in my 11 years at Meta. Yeah, and I think the important thing to acknowledge is that, of course, all of these products across, you know, as you mentioned there, Carolyn, every single company there there are different stages depending on what the the problem that they're trying to solve is and i think you know maybe sometimes we get caught up in a little bit of like a kind of catch-all term of of ai and you know you kind of when you see the visual product or you know whatever you type into chat gpt and you know you might think oh god it's a bit it's a bit worrying but (laughs) (laughs) how good's chat gpt yeah (laughs) it's the other one callum i think you know we've spoken a lot about sort of advertiser tools and like what AI has done there. And obviously that's mine and Carolyn's world. That's what we think about all day, every day at Meta. But it's just even AI and, and the nature of the way that that's fueling our discovery engine just as a person on Facebook or Instagram is completely changing. And so I think just one thing for your listeners that they that they may not know is that the way that you would think of social media a few years ago is that it's all about the people that you're connected to or things that you've already expressed an interest in, like the, you know, the pages that you like or the community groups you're a part of or your friends or family, things that you we already know. Um, but really what our discovery engine is looking like now and, and the way that the platforms are evolving is that it's much more about um, surfacing content that's relevant to you that you may not already be connected to. And so... Just to give you an example, there are billions of pieces of content, video and photo, that you're not currently connected to. You're completely unconnected to. But through signals that we've received from you and through things that we understand about that content, we think there's a pretty good chance that you might actually enjoy it and engage with it. And so AI is helping to fuel that discovery engine so that it's providing recommendations that are better for you. But it's also creating a better ranking and delivery system that delivers it to you um, in, you know, in more engaging formats as well. And just one last point on this um, in terms of discussions we're having with agencies and advertisers and how they're handling it and what they're thinking about it in terms of, you know, is automation the future? Um, We'll always provide advertisers with the, with the opportunity to choose, you know, we're not saying follow us and do everything automated, you know, we want to make sure that they have the choice around the tools that they use. Um, So for example, you know, they don't have to use some of the more sophisticated functionality that we have to offer, but we want to make sure that it's there. They can continue to run the tests that they want to run, do A-B test modeling, 
um, and do it on their own the way they would choose to do it versus the way that the AI would choose to do it um, to decide where they want AI to exist, to assist and just be on top of and additive to the existing experience that they have. Well, look, it's been um, it's been great having you both on. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time, uh, and look forward to seeing where the company is in another twelve months' time. Great, thanks for having us. Thanks. Have a great week. Have, happy Easter. Happy Easter. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Cheers. Bye. That's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening to the Mumbrella Cast. Throw us a follow or subscribe if you like the podcast and you're not already subscribed but otherwise we'll be back tomorrow on the evening mumbo feed thanks again to carolyn and naomi and damo great to see you thanks for joining always a pleasure thanks for having me you've already forgotten what you called me at the start of the podcast so I abs- we'll see I you abs- next absolutely. week we're gonna move on damo i'm not letting you have it <laughs> not gonna let me have it <laughs> see you next week